But can everybody hear me okay? Okay. I, I didn't bring my right glasses, so I'll have to take them on and off as I'm reading my... I'm getting old, I guess. I, there's a really good atmosphere in this church, you know, when people came in and greeting each other. It's really nice, and I really want to, to thank the worship team. Uh, worship was really nice, and, and it helped lead us all into worship. And I'm all for being excellent, but sometimes people are so technical that lose the sincerity and simplicity in, in, of worship, and I thought it was really good, and just wanted to tell you that. Well, my name's Jim Millard. This is my wife, Masako. And uh, we live in Japan. I'll tell you a little bit about myself before I, I uh, begin the, the message this morning. I went to Japan in uh, 1977, and I've lived there almost 30 years. We have four children. Three of my sons live in Japan and are, are uh, planting churches among youth in Tokyo, Yokohama area. Uh, when I was 18 years old, after I finished high school, I went to this Bible school in Canada. Uh, the truth is, I was kind of interested in this girl that was going up there. She was never interested in me. Uh, but anyway, I didn't last long at the school. I quit after the first term. But the first week I was there, a man came who had been in Japan and gave a report. And he told about the country, the people, the needs, and... God touched my heart uh, very deeply and put Japan into my heart and continued to lead me. And I went in 1977 as a student first, and I went back as a short-term missionary and then on a career basis with our family for many years. And uh, also involved in a number of countries in China, Mongolia, Nepal, Myanmar, the Philippines, and Cambodia. And... Uh, try to give you a little picture of some of those countries, but not enough time to talk about them all. Actually, the reason I came this morning, the first reason was because I wanted to connect with John and Diane, because John is going to come to Nepal and Myanmar in September to teach about church planting to, to pastors. So we're involved in training pastors in all of those countries, and uh, I can't think of a better person more qualified to teach about church planting, and that's really exciting that he'll be coming. Um, <clears throat> Japan is a country about the same size uh, physically as, as uh, California, actually just a bit smaller, uh, many more islands. There are about 126 uh, million uh, population in Japan. Statistically, about 1% are Christian. Uh, actually, only about two-tenths of 1% attend church. So Japan is well known as a, a slow and, and somewhat resistant country. And uh, I can't say that we've seen huge results, uh, but I can say I'm very happy to serve in Japan and in Asia. It's a privilege, and I do believe God is, is at work and that he will do things, great things in Japan. Um, we're going to try to show you some, uh, just a few pictures of Mongolia, and sometimes we have sound. I don't know if we have sound. No sound? Okay. Well, uh, we'll just show a few pictures. Actually, I have a zillion pictures, and I won't show you all the pictures of other countries, but that was Mongolia in between China and Russia. And next one, please. Okay, it's on a... It'll just let it run here. Um, there's some real cool Mongolian background music, but um, we couldn't get it to function. 
Mongolia was part of the Soviet Union from 1920 till 1990. During that 70-year period, all religion was banned. And um, yeah. oh, just let it, just, I think, just let it run. The, the statistics are on here. Um, so all religion, including Buddhism, was stamped out. In 1990, when the Soviet Union fell, uh, there were about five Christians in Mongolia. And uh, it, was, it had been completely isolated to non-communist countries. Missionaries began coming in from everywhere. Uh, I went there first in 1995. Uh, now there are more than 100,000 Christians in Mongolia and uh, more than 500 churches. And it's amazing what God is doing there. And uh, it's been a really a privilege to witness it and, and to be a part of, of training um, the key pastors in that country. Yeah, 800 churches, sorry. And John and Diane did come. That must have been four or five years ago. And so the church has grown, uh, well, doubled or tripled since you came. It's, a, it's quite amazing. Um, yeah, they have the goal of reaching 10% of their population by the year 2020, and I think they'll far surpass that. So, um, yeah, I can just go through the, the slides if you can. Well, anyway, let it run. So Mongols are, are really fun. They're, they have the blood of Chinggis Khan flowing through their veins, so they, they have a conquering spirit. They want to send missionaries to all of the, the countries that Chinggis Khan conquered, which is about half the world. And here's some pictures of, of the countryside. 40% of Mongols are still nomads and live in those, they call gares, we, we call them yurts, like this, which they've lived in in centuries. Uh, there was some pictures earlier of the, uh, of the city, uh, but we meet in a retreat with a group of 12 to 15 pastors and uh, really have a, a, a wonderful time together. Um, so here, that's John right there, teaching the pastors, a pastor from Indonesia who came to teach. Um, and so this is the, the ministry, without going into detail, that I'm doing in a number of countries. Um, I won't go, I don't have time to tell you about all the countries, but I'll just give you a, a, a peek. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably enough of Nepal. Nepal is probably the fastest growing church in the world. It's grown from 50,000 in 1990 to over a million today. And that's in the middle of civil war, extreme uh, economic and political instability, um, persecution, and uh, the gospel is just spreading very, very rapidly there. So I'm sure that John will come back with some exciting stories when he... he uh, comes to Nepal. I want to tell you a story about the first time I went to Japan. I grew up in Oregon, in the town of Springfield, small town. Uh, I moved in 1977 as a student to Tokyo and lived with a Japanese family. And it was really hard to get used to the life in Tokyo. Tokyo, the whole area, including all the surrounding cities, has about 40 million people. And uh, cramped into very small space. There's hundreds of trains and subways, and I'd seen a train before, but I'd never been on a train before I went to Tokyo. 
and I had to, to commute to school. I had to get on a train in western Tokyo, take it maybe 20, 30 minutes to one of the big uh, central hubs, a place called Ikebukuro in Tokyo. And every morning before 9 o'clock, about 2 million people go through, through this train station. And there's maybe 20 or 30 other train lines, lines that come into the same station. And there are several hubs like that in Tokyo. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of problems. Uh, for one thing, most of the, the names of the train stations and places are written in, in Chinese characters. And so I, I couldn't read them. Uh, I could speak a little bit of Japanese I'd learned, but it was so fast, you know, when, when they would announce, you know, on the, on the train the name of the place. You know, I would listen where I'm supposed to get off. It would sound like this. And uh, you know, I thought they were gargling or something. And uh, you know, so I'd always get off the wrong place. Every day, I got lost in this big station called Ikebukuro. Can you say Ikebukuro? Ikebukuro. It took me about six months to say that. So I had to go to Ikebukuro and transfer and get on another train and go to a place called called Takarano Baba. Can you say Takarano Baba? You didn't say it. Takarano Baba. And then I went on a subway to a place called Waseda. And every day I got lost in this train station. Even Japanese get lost. It's so big and they have uh, three or four uh, levels underground that go city blocks in all different directions. And I would just wander around until I found the way. But one day I was lost for more than an hour. And I thought, I better ask someone. So I, I you know, Japanese are going so fast that, you know, you try to ask them and they're gone, like they're on ice skates or something. And there was this young girl, maybe 15 years old, in her school uniform, standing in front of a store with her bag, waiting for a friend. And I thought, I'll ask her. So I walked up to her, and she was surprised that a foreigner would speak to her. And then I had another problem, because I didn't know how to say I'm lost. But I knew the word for lost child. So I walk up to her and says, well, I'm a lost child. And she was, you know, surprised. And she finally figured out that I was lost. And she said, well, where do you want to go? I was in Ikebukuro. I wanted to go to Takarana Baba. But I said to her, I want to go to Ikedano Baba. I put the two names together to make a new word. So she didn't have any idea where I wanted to go. And uh, Japanese laugh because they get lost and they, they, they like to hear stories about Japanese uh, or foreigners making mistakes. But I use this story often to share the gospel. And I say, you know, religion is like a set of directions. Even in your own language, in your own country, it's easy to get lost. That's what religion is like. Rules, philosophy, teaching. And it sounds good, but very easily you kind of don't know where you're going. But when I went with my Japanese friends, there was no problem. I didn't have to know the names of the place. I didn't have to know the names of the train or be able to hear the sound. All I had to, to do was to go together with them. That's the Christian life. Sometimes we complicate it a lot, but Christianity is going, walking with Jesus every day, following him. It's simple. We need to learn. We need to, to learn new things, but we don't need to complicate it so much. Christianity is in love relationship with God. 
And that's what I say to pastors all across Asia every day that I'm with them. It's all about a love relationship. So, anyway, today I want to share with you about missions, because Pastor John asked me to. And uh, I'm going to simplify my message. It's actually kind of long and detailed, and I can give you the notes if anybody's interested later to give the details, but I'm going to try to make it... Preachers always say that. It's a lie, but, you know, let me say it for... to make you all feel good. I want to start in Luke chapter 24. I think we have a a PowerPoint. Um, This is after the resurrection, and Jesus was meeting with the disciples. And I want to read this verse. It says, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their eyes so they could understand the scriptures. You know, when we come to the Scripture, we come and think and read, but the Holy Spirit is active to speak to us through the Word of God and to open our minds. And that's what we need to happen to understand. And I believe that He's going to do that today as we look at His Word. But then it says, He told them, This is what was written. Christ will suffer and rise again on the third day. All right. I would like to have heard this teaching of Jesus. What scriptures do you think Jesus used from the Old Testament to explain to the disciples that he would suffer and die? Actually, there's hundreds of prophecies, and I'm sure most of you have heard of the unbelievable prophecies about Jesus Christ that predicted that he would come and suffer and die and rise, uh, rise again. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. And there's many that we could point to, and it, it's, it's very interesting Read the next phrase in verse 47. It says, And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So this is the question I want you to think about. Jesus only had the the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written. What scriptures did Jesus use from the Old Testament to tell the disciples that the gospel, repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached to all nations. Anyone got an idea? Okay, well, I want you to continue to think about this after today. I think it's a really important question. Oftentimes we think of missions beginning in Matthew 28 where Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Well, that would be enough, and that's a very powerful command. But what I want to share with you this morning is that missions didn't begin in Matthew 28 after the resurrection. It was God's original plan. It it was his plan actually even before the foundation of the world. I could point to many scriptures. Uh, In Psalms, for example, there are more than 175 references to the nations. Uh, Isaiah chapter 49, I'll make you a light for the Gentiles and bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So you can find a repeated theme and drumbeat throughout the scriptures uh, very plainly about God's salvation being brought to all nations. But I think one of the, the key or most important one is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And to give just a bit of, of uh, background to this, Well, let's read it first. 
This is when God speaks to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 summarize several hundred or maybe thousands of years of history. It talks about the creation, how man fell into sin, the, you know, the flood with Noah, and then the, the creation of nations. So many years of history are put into 11 chapters. And then in, in chapter 12, God begins to speak to Abraham and to reveal his plan for redeeming the earth. So these verses are very important because it reveals... His, his heart and his purpose. And especially verse 3 is important. This verse uh, where it says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, is quoted more than 50 times in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 3, for example, when Peter spoke to the crowds, he quoted this verse. But maybe you think, well, is this really talking about missions? Did Abraham know that the whole world would be um, would hear the gospel through this promise? Well, I want to show you one one verse that I think clarifies it, uh, makes it very clear. It's in Galatians chapter three, verse eight. Are you with me? Can you follow what I'm saying here? All right, Galatians chapter three, verse eight, and this is what Paul said about Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He said, The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. And then he quoted Genesis 12, 3. All nations will be blessed through you. Does that make sense? You see, right from the beginning, God's plan was not just to bless Israel, or just bless a few people in the church. God's heart from the very beginning is the nations. The word nations, both in Hebrew and in Greek, when Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, refers to people groups. It's the word ethne or ethnic groups. God is interested in the families of the earth. There are many, several thousands of people groups that still have never heard the gospel one time. Actually, probably 99% of Japanese have never heard the gospel ever in their lives, even though there's, there's some churches. God's heart is for the nations. Many good Bible t- teachers have taught from the Word of God without emphasizing that the theme from beginning to end is missions. God's heart is, is that all nations would come to faith in Christ and receive the gift of forgiveness by His grace. So this was a little bit of a mouthful, and uh, if it was a little too fast, then you can get the notes later, and I, 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 I challenge you to, to study and see if what I'm saying is true. I want to look a little bit deeper into uh, Genesis chapter tw- uh, 12 and discuss this promise, because we know from Galatians chapter 3 and other scriptures that the promise given to Abraham is also given to us. See, the promise that God made to Abraham is also given to you. It says in verse 2, 
I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. I think it's really important to know that God is a God of blessing. God is not a stingy old man ready to drop a rock on everybody that sins. He is a God of blessing. And thank you. My voice is getting hoarse, I think. I'll put that there. It says in Ephesians chapter 3 that he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. You know, when we think about all the ways that God has blessed us, it's amazing. He's given us forgiveness of sins. He's made us sons and daughters of God. He's promised us eternal life. He's accepted us. And on and on and on. Uh, Beyond blessings, beyond our imagination. The promise of eternal life in heaven and the gift of his Holy Spirit. When my second son, Noah, was five years old, uh, we took him down to this discount store in Japan called Daikuma. And we told him we were going to buy him a bicycle. And so we went into the store and started looking at the bikes. And uh, he saw this little bike, you know, and got on it and tried to pedal it around. And I was I was over on the counter and I was looking at the uh, the advertisements, and I thought, you know, the next day there's going to be a sale. And I said, you know, if we come back tomorrow, we can get a BMX cheaper. And I said, let's go home and come back tomorrow. Well, a five-year-old boy doesn't know the meaning of tomorrow, you know, and he wanted that bike so bad. And so I took him from the store, and he started to cry. He cried all night until he went to sleep. The next day we came down got to BMX, and finally, he was happy. But I think that's a little bit like us as Christians. We pray, we ask God for something, and sometimes we don't get an instant answer, and we think God's forgot about us. And we need to know that God is a good Father. And when we come and ask Him, it's not that we're badgering Him to death by our, our long prayers that that makes him answer our prayers. He's a good father. It says he gives good gifts to his children. If anyone asks, you know, his father for for bread, he's not going to give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a snake. In the same way, your father in heaven gives good gifts to his children. God is a God of blessing, and he has blessed us abundantly in Christ. I believe that God will bless you every way, financially, physically, your family, your future. Uh, this is not name it and claim it and that you can get anything you want or, or just that faith is a means to getting rich. I don't believe that. But God is a God of blessing, and he will bless you. It says even when we delight ourselves in him, he'll give us the desires of our heart. So this is what Don Richardson has called the top line of the covenant. God has promised to bless us. Genesis chapter 12, 3 is the bottom line of the covenant. God desires to bless us, but he also desires to bless others through you, through us. This is the purpose of the blessing. The biggest blessing, of course, is salvation in Christ. 
He wants lost children to be found, people to be saved eternally. That's the heart of God. He wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. But there's a problem, and that's uh, that many times we want to be blessed, but it, 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 it ends there. Uh, our goal oftentimes, I think especially in the West, and I'm sorry I haven't lived in this country for 30 years, we have so much stuff beyond the imagination. I mean, the countries I go to other than Japan, many, uh, most of them, the average monthly salary is $30 a month. And even educated people don't know what they're going to eat. Uh, we, we just don't know what we have here. God has blessed us beyond what, what people could ever even have dreamed. But oftentimes the blessing becomes a curse because we've missed the purpose. God blessed the United States of America so that we could bless the nations. That's our calling. That's our destiny. This is my conviction, and I believe it's clear in the Scripture. He's called us to be a blessing. And He does bless us, and He will bless you. I believe that. He's not here to make us, uh, you know, just to make us sad or to suffer. Although sometimes we will suffer a little bit. But He's blessed you so that you could become a blessing. And when we're, when you know, a couple years ago, a friend of mine from... Mongolia came to Japan, and there's Disneyland in Japan. I said, okay, I'll take you and your kids to Disneyland. And we went, but on the way I said, you know, this will be fun, but I want to warn you, never get a Disneyland mentality in Christianity. And this is the mentality, I'm sorry, that many people have in Western Christianity that, you know, I mean, if you go to Disneyland every day, every day, after a while, it wouldn't be fun anymore. And the idea is not just to be blessed and more and more and more and more things and more and more pleasures. The idea is to use the things that God has given to you to bless others. And that includes what you guys are doing right here. That's a part of mission, to express love practically to our neighbor by helping them, by serving them, by helping building their houses. I applaud you. The needs throughout the world are so great that we need the whole body of Christ, the whole church, to stand up as one and come to the challenge that God and the task that God has given us. God has blessed us so that we could become a blessing. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone wants to find his life, he'll lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, if, if you're, you're only trying to get more things and collect more possessions and more pleasures, you can have all that stuff. But most people that, that do aren't really happy. It's a paradox. The more you give, the more you lose for Jesus, the more that you receive, the more that you find true life. These are Jesus' words, not mine. We must become a blessing, all of us. I mean, some people are called to go like we are to others overseas. And if God calls to you to do that, uh, that's wonderful. But all followers of Jesus are called to be a blessing and to lose our lives for him.
So God has, has blesses us in Christ. This is the, the, the top part of the government of the covenant. The bottom line, though, is that we become a blessing to others. Finally, the last thing I want to share is that God requires us to res- surrender all to him so that we can be blessed and become a blessing. I'm not going to go into detail about the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. Some of you know the story. It's a little bit of a difficult story where God called Abraham to sacrifice his own son, uh, you know, and they went up to Mount Moriah and they had the wood and he tied his, his son Isaac's hands together and raised his knife to, to, to sacrifice him. And God said, stop. And he provided another sacrifice, which is a, was foreshadowing and a picture of God the Father giving his own son Jesus for our sins. But it was at that point when it says God swore in an oath and he repeated the promises of Genesis 12. I will bless you and make you a blessing to all nations. And I think if you look at that story, and this is the, the point I want to make and summarize very quickly, that it was this act of surrender that was the key to Abraham realizing the promise of Genesis 12. I believe that to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to follow him 100%, all out. You can't be a disciple of Jesus and without full surrender. And I, I, I shared about how God called me to Japan, but I want to give my testimony, which was really the most important decision of my life. Um, I, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad, dad was a bus driver. My mom was a school teacher. They were just normal Christians and went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That was in the old days. And I went to church. I believed in God. And uh, I had faith. But when I got to be about 13 years old in junior high school, I got involved in sports. I was uh, bigger and stronger than any, anybody else, so I, I, I did, you know, did quite well. I, uh, I love to win and hate to lose, so I, I, I had this tremendous zeal to win. So even in practices, I would, I would not want to lose anyone. And I wanted to be a professional athlete. So I never studied, but I did sports three or four hours a day. And, you know, on Sundays I went to church, but the rest of the week I was living for myself. And that was the time back in the late 1960s. People began using the drugs and become involved in free sex and all that kind of thing. My friends were doing those things. And I came to this place when I was about 15 where I came to a fork in the road in my life where I had to go this way or I had to go this way. And... Uh, I was being pulled. The world, the world is very strong, you know. I was being pulled in the wrong direction, and I was so close to doing all the things my friends were doing. Well, I did a good amount of bad things <laughs> anyway. But uh, I was by myself. I opened a Bible, and I never read the Bible. I opened 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. And it says, In a race... Everyone runs, but only one person wins the prize. Run that you can win. And then it says, maybe a little different translation, those who who compete in an athletic contest go into strict training 
They do so to win a temporary crown, or some translations say a crown of leaves, because in the Olympics at that time, if they won, you know, there was no gold medal, they won a laurel wreath. But it says we run for a a crown that will never fail, a crown, an eternal crown, a crown that will last forever. I was by myself, and God spoke to me very powerfully. And he opened my eyes to understand eternity. And this is how I thought. I mean, I was by myself, 15-year-old kid, and and this is what I thought. This is why I love to share with young people. I thought, if the Bible's not true, let's throw it away and never read it again. It's a waste of time. If there's no God, never come to church again. And if there's no judgment after death, don't worry about sin. It doesn't matter. We die, we're gone, it's finished. You know, no need to worry about sin. But I knew in my heart... This book is true. I knew that God exists, and I knew that one day I'll stand before God and give an account for my life. So I decided that I would live the rest of my life to win the eternal crown for eternity with more energy and more zeal than I did sports. That, that, because I, I realized, you know, our life is nothing. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be gone And we don't know when it's going to be gone, but if you live to be 100 years old compared to eternity, it's still like seconds. And I believe that it's only logical for Christians to be fully surrendered because nothing we can see will last. And Jesus said we can lay up for ourselves rewards in heaven that will last forever and ever and ever. So I decided that that's the way I was going to live, 100% with all my energy, all my life, for Jesus. And that was the beginning of my foundation, and God led my life because of that commitment. And a guy came and discipled me, and I began to grow and get involved in ministry. And eventually, that led me to Japan and to Asia. So I've shared with you this morning very quickly about the biblical basis for missions. It's throughout the whole Bible. It's the task that God has given to the church But even more important than that, mission comes out of our love relationship with God. When you're walking with God and you love Him with all of your heart, He will use you to reach the world and the nations. And that's what He's called us to. And so this morning, I want to... uh, I'll just share one more story. 1994, my wife and I went to a a seminar in, uh, in Bangkok and in Singapore. And we left Japan at night, and we were in this airplane, and it was dark, and I, I read, did my quiet time, and I was just kind of thinking, you know, absentmindedly. And um, all of a sudden, I just felt the presence of, of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not a very emotional person. I'm kind of a hard guy type, but I just I started to cry, and I just I was thinking about all the countries we were passing over, and... China and Taiwan and Thailand and you know and I just cried out to God I said God use me in Asia and I didn't even understand it Uh, I went back to Japan a few months later a friend of mine called and said you want to go to Mongolia and I knew I mean God had prepared my heart and I said yeah let's go and so we went on in 1995 just as Mongolia was coming out of socialism and the church was just beginning. There was only about four or 5,000 Christians there at that time. 
And that was the beginning of this ministry that, that has, has expanded to um, eight or nine countries in Asia. Uh, I'm involved in training in, in, in uh, a number of them. But God continues to open door after door, and just unbelievable things are happening. It, it's, it's not just the, 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 the um, theology. It's the relationship. When you're in relationship with God, he'll call you. He'll speak to you. He'll lead your life. And I want to encourage you again. God uses ordinary people who are fully devoted to him. Well, I want to uh, bring this time to a close. And I want to challenge you to respond to God. First of all, if you're not a believer, Jesus loves you, died for you. And I just encourage you, put your faith in him. Turn from a life of sin and self to Jesus, and he forgives us fully. Secondly, um, if you're not fully surrendered and God has spoken to your heart, I challenge you. Surrender all completely. It's the funnest way to live. You know, I've, I've lived in Japan, and we've sacrificed a few things, but I wouldn't trade for anything the life that God has given to us. He's blessed us so much. I feel I'm the most blessed person on the face of the earth. And finally, if God has called you and spoken to you about mission, respond to what he's saying. He'll lead you and use you to reach the nations. I want to just ask, I'm not going to ask you to, to uh, come down and pray or anything, but has anyone sensed God has spoken to their heart about something this morning? Would you just raise your hand and... and uh... Okay, nobody. All right, one. All right. Um, well, if God has spoken to your heart, then I want you to pray together with me. But more importantly, when we're finished, talk to somebody about it. Tell them what God has, has, has said to you and, and what you're thinking. If you, if you need to, to become a Christian, talk to a friend and let them pray with you. If you need to fully surrender your life, pray with your group or, 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 or with your leader. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful church. I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. And bless each one who is here this morning. I pray that your spirit would put your words into their hearts about how you want to bless them and how you love them and want to use their life. Give encouragement to each, each one here. And may no one think that God won't use me because I don't know enough or don't have enough talent. But may each one surrender their lives fully to you and to your purposes. And I pray that you would use each one here in this church, to reach the nations that you love so much. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.